Hey guys, thank you for downloading this episode of the Final Third Podcast. Before we start, I have a quick favor to ask of you guys. Follow us on Twitter at Final Third Show to keep up with all the things that we're talking about, whether it's MLS, UCL, Premier League, or the U.S. Men's National Team, or French National Team, because Jack is a French National Team fan. So go ahead and do that. Link will be down below. Also, before we get started, I just want to give a quick note. We do talk about the recent news about the NWSL. This is just a fair warning. We do talk about sexual assault, sexual coercion. So if that's something that you don't want to really listen to, completely understandable. This is your fair warning there. All right. Enjoy the show. Hello, welcome back to the Final Third Podcast. It's Monday. It is our news and predictions episode. We have quite a lot to go through today. A very exciting weekend on and off the field for a variety of different reasons. As always, my name is Adrian Tabura, one of the co-hosts, fan of Minnesota United, West Ham United. Both did not go too well this past weekend and the U.S. national teams. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Jack. Yeah, hello. I am... Uh, I'm here. I'm a fan of Chelsea, which went very well uh, on the ah. weekend, at least. And uh, Atalanta did not go great. Minnesota United, which, you know, it's a road point uh, and fan of the French national teams and U.S. national teams. Yes. So we have quite the exciting episode today. We're going to talk about some news around the NWSL, a, a, a watershed moment there, a lot to unpack there. The UEFA Nations League, which is coming up, as well as some other random score lines and trends that we're seeing in uh, the game of football or soccer, whatever you want to call it. Uh, as always, follow us on Twitter at Final Third Show if you want to keep up to date with what we're up to and what we're talking about and all that jazz. Uh, also, follow us on whatever you listen to us on, whether that's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever, whatever, whatever. You already know the deal. Leave us a five star review. Uh, Jack, how about we get into the newsroom? Because I want to talk about all the stuff that happened this past weekend, because it was a wild weekend, wouldn't you say? Yeah, there was quite a bit of action going on all over in every single league. Yeah, I mean, not not just like, not just this weekend, I, I should say, like this over past, the past week. Yeah, the, the, the Champions League, which we did a lot of live tweeting of because that was quite the wild ride on Tuesday and Wednesday. We're going to get into that. Right now, actually, Jack, let's talk about some of the big score lines that we have seen in this past week. Score lines, of course, is our section where we talk about a couple of games and we talk about what happened in that game and what it tells us about the larger trend that we're seeing with a particular team. Uh, and yeah, let's start with uh, the first of five today, which is Real Madrid losing to FC Sheriff. I believe it's FC Sheriff, not Sheriff FC. Uh, yep. They lost them two to one at home in the UEFA Champions League. And to put the cherry on top there, they also lost to Espanyol in La Liga, which is absolutely crazy. I, I think that ended an undefeated run that they have been on yep, in La yep. Liga. So this, this is not a, a great week for them. Of course, with, against FC Sheriff, uh, FC Sheriff actually went up first in, in uh, the 25th minute with a uh, Yakshibov goal. Benzema... You know, put away a penalty in in the 60th or so minutes. Fine, fine. But the real thing that get, it's getting people really excited about this was Sebastian Thill, a banger of a header at the death in the 89th minute. 
Everyone knows that FC Sheriff is newcomer to Champions League first ever, not just their first time, the first time a Moldovan team has ever gone to uh, the Champions League group stages, which is absolutely nuts to see them win against literally the winningest team in Champions League history. They they are the best team in the UCL, Real Madrid. It's kind of a fairy tale ending, despite the fact that, you know, the the history and circumstances around FC Sheriff might be not so uh, not so applaudable, but in this particular instance, in this win, I I, I think it is applaudable. Jack, what, what do you think about this uh, a historical upset? Yeah, well, when I saw the result, at, uh, because I was getting out of my biology class, oh uh, yeah, when, when this game was finishing up, and I was like, "There's no way this has happened." Like it it th- this has to be one of the biggest upsets in. Not just in like the UCL this year, but just the UCL in the past decade or so. Uh, I I think like th- this is oh yeah huge. for sure. And I I think it's you know I, I I always like seeing Real Madrid lose. I'm not I'm not a huge Real Madrid fan, so that's fair. It it is it is kind of fun to see it, and it just shows why the Champions League is so fun, and especially to see it blow up in the face of uh, is it Bartomeu who's yep. yeah yeah. Who, who was pushing the Super League and saying it was <laughs> exactly, too boring yep. and that it was too easy for big clubs. Well, that's why we didn't want a Super League, and that's why we wanted the Champions League. There you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, blew up right in his face, and I, I couldn't have... I, I think that's probably one of the greatest storylines. Uh, just, like, every time Real Madrid loses to a team that they probably shouldn't have lost to, that's that's... That's a yeah, great moment. Yeah, FC Sheriff for the Super League. Am I, am I right? Like that's <laughs> that's exactly oh the first thought that I saw when I saw Phil hit that hit the header. I was like, man, this is gonna be this is gonna be great on Twitter, and it was. Uh, but going towards like what Real Madrid did wrong. So obviously FC Sheriff, they were there. Their goalkeeper turned into just prime De Gea, Neuer, Casillas, like whoever you want to put in, like a, a great shift from him. But in terms of what Real Madrid did wrong. I mean, there were a lot of players that just did not show up in these past two games against Espanyol and FC Sheriff. Lucas Vasquez, Nacho were all terrible. Benzina, Vinicius Jr., Eden Hazard, all not playing very well. So if this form continues, because we know that Bartomeu is quite uh, quite stringent when it comes to how much how much leeway he gives his managers. If this continues, do you think Carlo Ancelotti, the Real Madrid coach, gets fired because we know we just know how difficult it is for Real Madrid managers to keep their job if like these kind of embarrassing losses continue they are I think still first in La Liga so it's not like it's not like they're at a total risk for total collapse but at the same time is there any inklings do you think that by January if like these kind of the kind of uh, results continue that he might be on the chopping block Jack well I mean, I don't think so because unless it continues like longer than like like past the international break, right? Like a bit a bit longer after that because they were on a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight game uh, unbeaten streak before these, uh, you know, or actually no nine game unbeaten streak before these two losses. So mm-hmm. you know, like that that's a pretty good record so far. And yes, they're not great results, but also. You know, they they didn't they didn't look embarrassing completely. Like uh, they 
they that's true yeah they didn't get like completely outplayed especially against fc sheriff you know they dominated possession 76 to 24 percent but they just but, weren't clinical enough and we should win against fc sheriff to be fair well yeah you should and against espanol yeah they just weren't clinical enough uh-huh. and you know that that can hurt you and you know sometimes that happens teams have off days mm-hmm. and it's unfortunate for Carlo Ancelotti that these two off days happen to come in the span of one week uh, against significantly worse opponents. But, you know, they can happen and it would be pretty boring if they didn't happen. Yes, I mean, I, I am totally in favor for Real Madrid being bad sometimes. Uh, but in the in the larger, grander scheme of things, I think that, you know, we could talk about them having off days, but when it, it is off days that we wouldn't have seen with another manager. We wouldn't have seen with another Real Madrid team. It does raise questions on whether or not Carlo Ancelotti is still the man for the job. They are on 17 points right now, along with Atletico Madrid and surprisingly Real Sociedad. So if I fully believe that if come Christmas time, if Real Madrid are not on top of the table, or at least very close in second place, if they are third, if they are a more distant second place, that Carlo Ancelotti will lose his job, which I it's just historical what we've seen with uh, these losses and going off of the history of Real Madrid, that might be a likely case. That, that's all I'm going to say. Uh, otherwise, I, I think that this is, yeah, when you look at it, just temporary embarrassment for Real Madrid and nothing too much until proven otherwise, of course. Let's go on to something that is actually embarrassing, and that is Barcelona. Atletico Madrid beat Barcelona 2-0. And Barcelona, of course, also lost to Benfica in the Champions League this Wednesday, 3-0. Not great, obviously, Jack. Luis Suarez got his revenge goal against Barcelona, but... uh, Goal and assist against him. Yeah, goal and assist. Great, great work from him. Uh, And Barcelona have now gone zero shots on target in a Champions League game twice in a row now, when before, that's literally never happened in their history in the Champions League. Jack, what has gone wrong in Barcelona? I mean, we, we could say exactly like what we've been saying for the past couple of, I would say, months with what's gone wrong in Barcelona. But in, in these games in particular, what have you seen? I mean, everything's gone wrong. Like, let's be real. It's, there's, there's, there's been a lot of problems. And a lot of it is just, you know, Cohen's tactics just don't seem to really work for one thing uh uh-huh. so that that's a bit of an issue uh and you know i i, I just i i don't get what the what the lineup tactically are for some of these uh decisions like there was a time where pk was playing up front as a striker when they yeah. were trailing and you know play trying out all of these different positions and sticking with a lot of let's face it players who are past their prime Busquets and PK especially, who probably need to be phased out rather than being the core elements of this team. Frankie de Jong has been a bright spot. Depay had a good start, but, you know, Luke de Jong hasn't been exactly that good. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is Komen switches the formations so often yep. that it's hard to get into any sort of form or any sort of rhythm with it. And uh, I think that hurts them a lot. I also think, like, on the Benfica one, it, it's not completely, I, I, 
Actually, never mind. I I I, for, I forgot that the red <laughs> card was very late in the match. It, it's not. It, it it is actually a very bad thing. They, their yes. midfield is just not doing good. They can plug as many people into the midfield as they want, like they tried to do against Benfica, but it's not enough if one of them is just slow and old, Busquets, mm-hmm. <laughs> and one of them is overworked, Pedri, and and then like you know you have two uh, wingbacks who don't really defend that well uh, in Roberto and Dest. You right. Know, they're, they're not the greatest defensively. And then, like, you know, you're, you're relying on Dion for carrying the midfield, which, while he can try and do that, you've got to put some faith in other players as well. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, they can't. Plus, Ter Stegen has not been fantastic uh, this past. Uh, he Absolutely hasn't been not, for a yeah. while. Uh, I think ever since that 8-2 loss to Bayern, he just hasn't been the same. And, yeah, it, it's really bad. It's, he's on some really bad form. Mm-hmm. I, I would say going beyond even the midfield, you know, we can talk about just the defense in general. Uh, in that Atletico Madrid game, watching it, I, I just noticed that the, the attackers of Atletico Madrid, you could look at Luis Suarez, Joao Felix, Thomas Lamar, who had a great game, assist and a goal there. Uh, it, it, it all seemed like they were not getting pressured with when they had the ball like they can just cut through that Barcelona defense that Barcelona midfield Busquets uh PK Araujo and the fullbacks it 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 just seems like Barcelona were not up for the challenge and it wasn't even like Atletico were even super impressive necessarily they just did what was needed to get past Barcelona which admittedly was not a lot uh but we do have some quotes that I want to read out to you Jack Komen saying uh, after these losses, we have lost players who made the difference. This is the reality. Basically saying that when you lose so many key players, when you lose such pivotal players like Messi, like Griezmann, and don't have the budget, don't have the resources to replace them in a meaningful way due to, I don't know, the billion pound euro debt that they have, it, that this is the reality that Barcelona are currently facing. And we also have from Laporta... Uh, the chairman of Barcelona, basically confirming that Komen will continue to be the coach of Barcelona. Jack, what what is your reaction to that? Is that the right move given what's going on? I know a lot of people want to see Komen gone, but is this a structural problem or is this really just what you were saying before, his tactics? I I think there, it's both. I think his tactics are bad. Uh, he's set up for some for some good wins. I mean. Beating Levante isn't all that impressive because they're not good. But, you know, the club also, their financial practices have ruined the player pool. And it's only going to get worse. Uh, Barcelona has to nearly, has to cut their uh, budget and player wages nearly in half next mm-hmm. se- by next season. So it's not going to get any better. They're not going to be able to keep superstars anymore. That, that, that's the reality. Barcelona is, as we know it, is dead. Like as we knew it, like being being the team that like uh you know won a, won uh the the sextuple in two thousand nine, the one that won the Champions League in mm-hmm. twenty fifteen. That's not them anymore, and it won't be for a while because this club is so messed up from decades of bad decision making at a financial level that that that's just the reality of the situation for them. I so I I don't place it entirely on Komen. I think mm-hmm. he he has done okay given some of the circumstances. But, you know, you know, 
he still should have some of the blame because yes. he, at the end of the day, you know, any coach should be able to manage like, you know, these sorts of players against Benfica to at least get a draw rather than mm-hmm. like, or to beat Granada or Cadiz. Like mm-hmm. mo- with this batch of players, you should be beating that opposition. Yes. And they're not. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think, I'd say like twenty five percent of the blame is on Komen and seventy five percent is on the board. That that's very fair, and that's why I don't think that they're gonna fire him, especially like we said before, with no real alternatives other than uh Chavi, I guess, or uh Conte, but who knows what happens there. Let's go on to uh we talk about Messi's old club. Let's go talk to his uh new club a bit. Ren beat PSG two to zero. Uh their first loss in league uh obviously they had a very good win against man city 2 to 0 in the champions league messi got his first goal for psg in that game but talking about this game in particular ren vpsg uh despite an attack of di maria neymar mbappe and messi they all had zero shots on target in this 2-0 loss so jack real quick we don't have to talk about this too long but should we be worried, or is this really just a blip uh, on the radar uh, for this team? Do you still think they have what it takes to be uh, what they are on paper, which is the best team in Europe? I mean, yeah, I, I, I think so, just because, you know, before this, they had eight games where they won in a row in the league. You know, that that is impressive. And I, I, I will say this is a pretty bad loss considering that Wren have lost over the past season two of their best players uh, that, mm-hmm. they, that they have in Eduard Mendy and uh, uh, Eduardo Camavinga. Yes. They, they, they lost both of those players and still pulled out a win here. But I, I also think it, it shows that, you know, all, I, I, I like it a ton because all I've seen way too many people start to diss league on and say like, oh, it's it's not even one of the top five leagues. Portugal's better. Mm-hmm. There's still competition in this yeah. league, and anyone can anyone can beat anyone in this league. I also think you know uh, it, it was a really off game for for Absolutely. a lot of the players here. Uh, you know, Verratti and uh, and I can't even pronounce his name. Guay. Guay. Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I I'm I'm terrible at pronouncing his name, but they didn't have a good game in the midfield. They were losing the midfield battle all over, and mm-hmm. that really hurt them. Uh, and you know, Kimpembe and Marquinhos, they like to venture up the pitch a little bit, and they got caught out a little bit. And Donnarumma was not up to his Euro form. He he mm-hmm. had, he had fallen back a little bit, regressed to the mean potentially there uh because he he conceded two goals made two saves it was all right but it wasn't great um but even even though like they uh they didn't have a shot on target messi messi uh neymar and mbappe they they weren't playing terribly it's just that ren were a lot more clinical with their chances Mm -hmm. so i i think that i think that's the key thing and mbappe also had a goal ruled out for offside right but you know PSG should have won this game realistically. Mm-hmm. 1.42 expected goals, 13 shots, uh, 67% possession. But Ren, they had four shots on target and they buried 50% of them. And that's yeah. what you need to do. They 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 were they were pretty much experts on the counterattack in this mm-hmm. game. So I, yeah, I, I am not going to ring the alarm bells with PSG no. at all. And I know you aren't either. I think most people aren't going to as well, but. 
the main issue that I'm seeing with this team, because obviously, you know, Mbappe, Messi, Neymar, they're going to be scoring goals, hopefully at least. I mean, we haven't seen too much of that recently, but uh, re- there's reason to think that they will. That, so that's not necessarily the issue. The issue is kind of like what I was talking about last season for this team that I thought maybe naively could be plastered over with with just like a lot of reinforcement in the defense and the attack. And that is their midfield. You highlight it a little bit, but when Ren uh, seemed to start winning the midfield, I noticed that they, you know, got they pressured a lot of the midfield with their high press, which is why I think that particularly a 4-3-3 would be the best move for PSG. They had, I believe, a 4-2-3-1 with Di Maria joining the attack. Uh, and I, I think that left uh, Verratti and, and Guay a, a little bit uh, exposed in the midfield. When uh, If you have Herrera up there with the in that 4-3-3, that three in the midfield, I think that does a lot to bolster the defense because I think those three balance the midfield in a way that uh, the two of them alone cannot so much so that i think Verratti and like that midfield might be more of a key piece for this team's success in the long run than having just a, a plain out star studded attack because Verratti is a very good midfielder and without him and without that midfield presence a strong defense and a strong attack really just doesn't matter so again not not, not ring any alarm bells but if we start seeing this uh, I'm saying this now so I can uh, go back and be like, told you guys, I told you it's the midfield. So uh, let's go on to Juve versus Chelsea, which is a 1-0 win for Juventus. Uh, Chiesa scored the lone goal in this uh, match. And, uh, and interestingly enough, there are rumors that he will be converted from a right winger to a striker, which, uh, you know, he, he has been, in my opinion, uh, Juve's best player this season, which isn't saying a lot, but you know I, I've always been a fan of his, so I don't know to really think about that. But we're not talking about him as a striker. We're talking about Romelu Lukaku as a striker. I think he's now gone what five games without scoring. Uh, I something think something like that. I think I think it's something Four or five. like that. Uh, so yeah, my question, yeah, my question for you, Jack, is: Is Chelsea misusing Lukaku? Because we have Antonio Conte. Uh, giving us a little soundbite here saying, quote, Chelsea don't know how to use Lukaku. Last season, they didn't have a proper center forward, so they rotated positions, whereas Romelu is a real reference point in attack. If they can figure out how to use Lukaku, then Chelsea can become the team to beat in the Champions League this season. Jack, what do you think about Conte? Is he right? Is uh, Thomas Tuchel misusing Lukaku a little bit? Uh, a little bit. I, I don't think completely, and I think we've seen him kind of transition to using him a little bit better recently. Uh, specifically, you know, playing Werner alongside him, because they both benefit from each other a lot. Absolutely, yeah. Lukaku, you know, he might not have scored against Southampton at the weekend, right? But he was instrumental in creating space for a lot of for a lot of movement, and also, you know, he hit the, he hit the post as well, mm-hmm. that one. But I, I think, you know, playing... Werner and Lukaku alongside each other is finally getting the best is getting the best out of both of them, you know, because they they both played in systems where they were not the lone striker. They they had someone to play off of, and that fits their profiles perfectly. So I think that Tuchel is figuring it out, and right. you know it, it's it's easy to think like with Lukaku since he has such a goal scoring pedigree in the Premier League 
that he'll just come back and he'll and he'll be scoring automatically. But you know, it does take some tinkering with the system to get it completely right. And mm-hmm. uh, I um I think I think like he he's going through a little bit of a rough patch. Uh, as most players do if they move between clubs, right? Right. They might they might start off big, have a little bit of a slow patch in the middle, but I I think that he's going to he's going to be good in, in the end. So, mm-hmm. so you know, despite losing to UA, despite losing to Man City, I'm right there with you. I think it's only going to be a matter of time before Tuchel figures out Lukaku, or it all blows up in their faces. But I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with believing in the former because that seems like the more likely uh, outcome. I, I, I do think that w- what Conte was saying was completely true. I mean, you can't have Lukaku just be on an island by himself. Like, right. There needs to be that like kind of link a play with a, with a second striker right behind, which I think Timo Werner can do perfectly. Uh, and I, I think once you have Mason Mount, because Mason Mount was very instrumental in having Lukaku play very well, it, it, I, I, I think that this rough patch that Lukaku is on will end and that ending will coincide with, you know, Chelsea's uh, r- rough patch of form, if you can even call it that. Yeah, I mean, that that's actually a big thing, the Mason Mount uh, mm-hmm. point, yeah. because uh, Thomas Tuchel said that one of the biggest things that's contributed to Lukaku's success has been uh, his relationship and his chemistry on the field with Kovacic and um, with, with Mount. And Mount yes. has been injured for the past two games. He came back against Southampton. And we saw Lukaku start to get back into things a little bit, even mm-hmm. even in the game against Zenit, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, Mount didn't start in that one. He came on as a as a second half substitute, and Lukaku scores in the, mm-hmm. in the second half. He play he plays really well alongside him. So uh, I I think that that's going to be a big piece of the puzzle. Uh, injuries are always going to hurt a team. Yes, uh, and and therefore. Uh, Chelsea, I, I think, are going to be uh, what Conte was saying, which is the team to beat in the Champions League. And in the Premier League, because they're top of the league, just had to sneak that in there. You know? Yeah, uh, well, <laughs> I, I, I got to give it to you. That is true. That is true. Uh, let's go on to Liverpool versus Man City. Uh, moving over to the Premier League here. It just happened, I believe, was this was today, right? Yeah, today, today. yeah. Uh, long day I've had, apparently. <laughs> so, Liverpool versus Man City. I guess all Liverpool games just have to be bangers now. We had the Brentford game and the 3-3. Now it's a 2-2 draw. Uh, Liverpool and Man City. Uh, we had Sadio Mane. All, all these goals are in the second half, by the way. Like, this is a crazy second half. Sadio Mane, goal in the 59th minute. Phil Foden, 69th minute. Uh, Mo Salah, 76th minute. What an incredible goal. It's an incredible dribble through the entire City back line to put it away. Kevin De Bruyne in the 81st minute had a great strike outside of the box to tie it up. Rodri had a last man save against Fabinho in the 86th minute. It was a, it was a, an open goal. Fabinho was that was embarrassing. Know, let's be real, that was yeah. an embarrassing one. Em- embarrassing for Fabinho. Very impressive from Rodri, even yeah, though yeah. Fabinho definitely should have. I mean, the goal was literally open for him to get that that easy uh, go ahead goal, yep. and Rodri just came in, poked it away. Uh, also. Of note, because this game just has so much going on. In the 72nd minute, Bernardo Silva was blasting down the sideline. And James Milner, who was already on a yellow, sticks his leg out. Catches Silva. No ball. Completely flattens him. 
Like Silva just goes down. At least I think it is Silva, right? It was yep. definitely Silva. Yep, it yeah. was. <laughs> no, I definitely know because the Silva's face when he got hit, like I don't even think he was expecting it because he it was like he did like a three sixty in the air. He, like he like went completely horizontal bad. in the it was air. Bad. Yeah. And Jack, no second yellow card. Yeah. Nothing I, at all. I think that's that's a bad call by the referee. Oh, honestly. Yeah, obviously. We, we've seen yellow cards be given for less. We've seen straight red cards be given for mm-hmm. less than that. Like that that that's a second yellow without yeah. a doubt. And he didn't even have that good of a game. He was getting smoked constantly yeah. by uh, Foden. And, like it was it was a big mismatch. Uh, yes. Foden versus Milner. Yeah, I, I 100% agree, uh, but it did add to the entertainment value of this game. I have no real takeaways from this game, other than it's just two play, uh, two teams that might not have been playing the best defense, but uh, you know sometimes you just want to have two just giants just duke it out and have a, a really interesting, fun game. Uh, Jack, do you have any qualms with this game, or are you fine with the result? Uh, I'm, I'm very happy with the result. In fact, yeah, this is the I one bet. result I wanted. <laughs> Because it means Chelsea stay top of the league until, you know, at least uh, the end of the international break. And I do want to I do want to point out one thing, because uh, Jack Grealish, not a great game from him. Uh, yes. He, yeah. He has not had that good of games for the past few appearances for City. Uh, you know, I he had, he had a great game against Leipzig a few weeks ago um, and. You know, he had a decent game against Norwich. Yeah. I mean, he's been I, very quiet, which is strange because, you know, he's already been in the Premier League. So it's it's odd to me that a lot more people aren't calling out uh, this lack of form, because in reality, when when you think of other players who go through rough form, like, for example, Pogba or Bruno, mm-hmm. immediately they get they get targets on their backs. But Jack Grealish, you know. The English bias, I think, a little bit comes into play. It, it, it is. His last goal contribution was on the 28th of August against Arsenal, and that happened to be an assist in a 5-0 drubbing. So it wasn't against, like he was, against 10 men, too. Yep. Yes, yes. Uh, but I, I would say, I, I do have to give him credit, I, I don't actually think that he has been terrible. It's just that so, so I'm that he hasn't been getting on the score sheet. Like, I, I think he has been a good piece of the attack, but unlike his days with Aston Villa... He's not like the main guy on this uh, city team. He's just a, a, another piece of the greater puzzle. Like I, I thought he, he played well against the likes of Leicester City. Maybe not against Southampton, even though he was definitely not the worst player in that 0-0 draw. I thought he played okay, uh, even better okay. I thought he played pretty well against Chelsea. Uh, this game, I think, was a particular outlier. He did get subbed off in the 66th minute. He was pretty out of form by that point. So in the grand scheme of things, I think he's fine. Even if he isn't like a golden boot winner at the end of the end of the year, I think he's going to be seen as a successful transfer if he does his job in City, which is to add to that attack on the wing. My main gripe with him is that City should have spent that money on a striker. That's that, about it. That's that's that, it. That is that's true. It. That that is a big gripe, not on him particularly, right. but with City Football Group and. Yeah. I, I think I think that is fair. I think that is fair. All right, let's go on from scorelines. Those are a, a very good crop of games to talk about. And let's talk about a little bit about the UEFA Nations League. Uh, so the way that you know UEFA World Cup qualifiers work is that uh, 
the winners of the Nations League, which is this competition similar to the CONCACAF Nations League, where uh, top teams face top teams in a group stage, and then it goes down to like mid-level teams, bottom-level teams, uh, in order to give them some more competitive minutes. Uh, the, the group stage winners of those you know, groups, I should say, uh, instead of having to play uh, World Cup qualifiers this window, they are playing the fi- semifinals and finals of the UEFA Nations League 2020-2021 uh, season. And it's a, it's a very interesting competition. I, I always like to have like more cup competitions. I think it's very interesting. And so that is happening. And we have two, uh, two semifinal games to cover. Uh, one being Italy versus Spain. One being uh, Belgium versus France. The winner of that will go on to the final, which is on the 10th of October. And uh, the losers will go on to the third place playoff we're gonna be talking about the the i guess key players from each team how they did in the euros and what to look out for uh for them so i guess i'll get started with uh italy which are playing uh spain in one side of the bracket and i think it's gonna be really interesting i did look at some historical evidence uh for this going beyond just like the squad i looked at the past winners of major tournaments at their next tournament so I looked at uh, World Cup 2010, Spain won the 2012 Euros. So the tournament, the re- tournament right after them winning the World Cup, they followed up with another tournament win. The 2014 World Cup, Germany then went on to win the 2017 uh, Confederations Cup. So not the, not the Euros, but the Confederations Cup. Euro 2016 winners, Portugal won the 2019 UEFA Nations League. So what I'm, what I'm looking at here as like a greater trend is that when you have a golden generation and you win a tournament, it obviously you know makes sense that you're likely to be favorites for the following tournaments. And the reason why I bring this up is because unlike other tournaments, Italy is playing this particular one just a couple months after winning their past one. So literally their entire generation, that entire golden era is still happening. In fact, it's barely really begun. We still see Italy being in absolutely amazing form going off of their Euro win where they won against uh, England in the finals because they are still undefeated after 37 games, breaking that record completely. They have, yes, they have drawn the the past two World Cup qualifiers are two of their last three World Cup qualifier games, but they still have a lot of players that won them the Euros. They're all here. Cialini, Benucci, that uh, defensive pairing. Spinazzola, unfortunately, is not here, even though he had a, a good Euros before his uh, injury. But you still have Locatelli, Ferrati, Jorginho, Barella, Insigne, Chiesa, Moise Keane, Donnarumma, all ready to con- con- contribute, all being very, very good for their club teams. And I think the story here is that defense. They haven't conceded more than one goal this entire year. They're obviously, in my opinion, the favorites to win this because this is just such a complete team from front to back. And we saw that in the Euros. And I think that continues here. Jack, what do you think about Italy? Do you like their chances at all? I mean, yeah, you have to back them a little bit and give them some faith. because more, Maybe more than a little bit, I would say. I mean, you, you know who I'm backing in this. Uh, but, yeah, of course. But, uh, you know, I... I think that it's a solid squad. Uh, you know, there, there's some pieces that are kind of missing, you know, uh, Spinazzola, but you can't mm-hmm. do much with that. Uh, and 
I also, I, I guess also um, Immobile has been in decent form as well, so it's not yeah, right. a terrible decision to call him up. But, um, you know, I, I, th- I think this team should get past the semifinal. Yes. That, that's, that's what I'm going to say. I think they should get past the semifinal. Mm-hmm. And well, let's talk about their semifinalist uh, opponents, which uh, I also agree at least should get across from Spain because... Uh, from what I'm seeing, the Spain squad is not particularly strong. So, Jack, why don't you talk about Spain? Uh, they obviously lost to Italy in the Euro semifinals, so another semifinal matchup for them. What do you see with Spain? Yeah, well, um, it, it's going to be interesting because they already had to make an injury-induced uh, change to the roster. Pedri yeah. is no longer able to compete. Really? So, okay, yeah. do you know who they called up instead about an hour ago? Who? Sergi Roberto interesting that's who they chose to call up instead so instead of a midfielder another defender good choice um i I also know they they had to uh get i I think lorente out of there and they replaced him with uh oh man i I think uh uh gil of tottenham oh i did not see that one uh that that might have been a couple hours ago maybe yeah still uh yeah it, it it doesn't look good for spain their goalkeeping contingent is all right, you know. They, there's some good players in there who have had some good, a good starts for the season. Uh, they're defenders. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of excited that Marcos Alonso gets a recall after a good start yeah. to the season. Cesar Azpilicueta stays in there as well. Uh, Eric Garcia is a bit of an odd choice given that he yeah, hasn't for been sure. impressive at Barcelona. Not at Laporte, all. Yeah, good choice. Uh, good start to the season. Inigo Martinez is a good choice. Pedro Porro is an interesting one from Sporting. Uh, Sergio Regulon, uh, yeah, I guess is is a decent choice. And Pau Torres, uh, that that's probably the the standout defender, and probably uh-huh. is going to be the center back pairing along with Laporte. Uh, but uh, their midfield is what gives me the most, or not the most issues, but Busquets is still there. Pablo Fornals, you you like him? Yeah, of good course. Form. Uh, Gavi is an interesting call up, seventeen year old from Barcelona. Yeah, uh, getting a call up, which is very interesting. And, uh, of course, Rodri, who's been solid, and Mikel Marino and Mikel Oyazerbal from Real Sociedad, who have had a good start to the season. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it, it, it looks like a solid midfield, but missing Pedri is a big loss. Yes. Uh, because he's very important to how they play. Uh, the big problem, and I think you'll probably agree with me on this, is the forwards. Mm-hmm. In that they have, like, no depth. They have three forwards, and none of them are an out-and-out striker. You have Jeremy Pino from Villarreal, who's not that clinical and doesn't put up big numbers. Uh, You have Pablo Sarabia on loan at Sporting. Again, not a striker, doesn't put up a lot of numbers. And Ferran Torres, who is probably the best out of that bunch, probably will be their starter as like a false nine. But overall, the the thing that I think is Spain just isn't as strong as Italy. They Mm -hmm. have decent players, but their squad is... Overall, not as deep, not as strong, uh, and not as coherent as Italy's. Yeah, I definitely agree, because when you look at the names that they left off, obviously you have Petri, but you also have Ansu Fati, Brahim Diaz, which I think should have been a call-up. Yeah. Uh, Gerard Moreno, Alvaro Morato, uh, Daniel Olmo, Thiago Alcantara, Sergio R- Ramos, Jose Gaia, and Injured. Kepa. Okay, Kepa, Kepa should have yeah. been. But they're yeah. all at home for a variety of reasons. All those players, I think, when they're healthy, are 
better than a good amount of the squad they have. So they are kind of got the, the short the short stick here. And I also look at Spain. We talked about it at length during the Euro tournament. But the main issue with Spain, they have high possession, they have high XG, but very bad execution. Can, it's very hard for them to really score and control games against high, a good, good opposition. And I'll be honest, Italy are a good opposition, so I think it'll, it will be hard for them. Bad squad plus bad utilization probably means no trophy for them. Uh, moving on to Belgium, they lost to Italy as well, this time in the quarterfinals. This is a minor trophy, but at this point, the golden generation of Belgium just has to win something. But they have a good squad, Lukaku, Eden Hazard, Kevin De Bruyne, Tielemans, Courtois, Axel Witzel, uh, Yannick Carrasco. And I, I really look at this attack being very potent because uh, Eden Hazard, KDB were injured at many points in, in the Euro tournament. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne obviously came back to have a, a great form throughout that entire tournament. But now that Lukaku, the Hazards, KDB are back and are in form, I think that we're going to see a very exciting um, game and window from this team, which I'm, I'm really excited to see. I think this is a side that should be competing for this trophy when you just look at this general quality on the squad front to back. Uh, Jack, anything on Belgium? I really don't have anything to say other than like this is a good team. Uh, they probably should be at least challenging to make it out into the finals. Uh, one issue that I'm going to bring up. Yeah. Uh, the defense. It, it doesn't give me confidence. Yeah. I, I said it at the Euros, and it didn't give me confidence there either. Uh, <laughs> that defense is so liable to make mistakes. Toby Alderweireld, Daedric Boyata, uh, Castagna is good, but he's not a center back as well. Uh, Jason Denier can be susceptible to making mistakes as well. Uh, Jan Vertonghen as well. Like these, these are these are all defenders that, for the most part, are past their like prime years. So I am I I'm a little bit worried about the defense if I'm if I'm Belgium, uh, I don't I I don't think I can really like question many of the other ones except uh, it is kind of cool to see uh, De De Ketelera from Bruges uh, make a mm -hmm. make an appearance here, uh, so that'll be interesting to see. Nice, nice. Well, Jack, it's time to talk about France. So go ahead. What do you see about France? Obviously, there are some major snubs that I'm pretty sure you will be talking about. So go ahead. Yeah, I mean, this squad is decent. It, it's not terrible, but there are quite a few players left out that I wanted to mention, uh, especially given some of the call-ups. Uh, for example, calling up Matteo Guendouzi, who has not had a great uh, recent run of form for Marseille. Marseille have really dipped off in form, uh, and he has not been that positive for them. Uh, I would have rather seen Eduardo Camavinga, for example, mm -hmm. who, who's played pretty well for Real Madrid and is a very promising young talent. Another one, uh, Anthony Martial. Yes, he scored a goal recently, but how can you pass up Olivier Giroud after the form he's had at AC Milan? Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, he is, he's France's second top goal scorer of all time. And you're, stay, and you're telling him, now we don't need you for this major trophy. Sit, you can sit at home. That's ridiculous, especially given Martial's goal production for France. He has two goals in over 30 appearances. Two. Giroud scores a goal every other game for France, mm -hmm. on average. Like, he should be in the squad. He should be. The other big one uh, is, uh, is a player that I'm not, I'm not sure how familiar you are with him, but I think he would have been better than 
probably Leo Dubois. Uh, and it's uh, Klaus from uh, Lons. Because Lons have had fantastic start to the season, right? Like, they are in second place right now, unless that has changed recently. But uh, they're in second place. He has been very, very, very solid for them. Jonathan Klaus, he plays as a right back slash right mid. He has one goal and three assists for them. He's powering them up to up to the top and keeping some clean sheets, making important defensive uh, defensive uh, blocks along the way. He should be in the squad. He is a very good player, and I think he he definitely should be in here. Uh, so that that is those are the three big snubs that I that I wanted to mention. But overall, the one area that gives me the most questions on about this team is the midfield. No, mm-hmm. no Conte yeah. is going to hurt them a lot because he's very important to the way France plays. Of course, Pogba's there, uh, but honestly, I, I don't know who you pick to line up with him. Uh, uh, like Chuamani, probably, and I guess Veritout would be my other choice. I don't really trust Guendouzi or Rabio, so uh, overall, I think it's a, I think it's an okay squad it's just that i think there's a lot of snubs in here that should have uh done well and also you know i'm not i I've, i haven't been a big fan of deschamps tactics lately this is a chance for for him to prove me wrong on that and maybe give me uh some faith in him but i don't know if he if he doesn't make it to the final at least mm. i i'm i'm not i i, I think it's time for him to go uh, okay I'm, I'm not gonna lie i yes it's in the middle of world cup qualifying but it, i i i really think that he 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 has had enough time to to make this work and he has had some really lackluster results along the way well i want to hear your thoughts now jack obviously we have the third place playoff so you can actually do it let's rank these teams one through four who do you think is making it to the final uh one and two do you think it's becoming the champion here let's hear i i think the final will be between italy and france i i would pick italy to win in that as as tough it is as it is for me to say but italy are this Italy squad is better than this France squad. Okay. That, that's, that's what I'll say. Uh, third and fourth. Third, I'm going to give it to Belgium. And fourth, I'll give it to Spain. Okay. Spain just has the weakest squad in terms of depth, especially at the top. Because if their main issue already is not converting chances when they had strikers on their roster, that issue is only going to be amplified by not <laughs> yep. having them. So Yes, I, I agree. I differ from you slightly because I'm putting Italy and France uh not in the finals i'm putting italy and belgium in there italy i think win there they are on home soil this is going to be played in italy i think they win that belgium second place unfortunately for them france third place and spain fourth place i just think i like the squads and the the recent form of italy and belgium a little bit more than spain and france's uh so that is the uefa nations league we're gonna be talking about the specific uh scoreline we see in those semifinals later on the prediction section Let's talk a little bit about the NWSL, Uh, a little bit of controversy, not a little bit, a lot of controversy, actually, uh, with the NWSL. Uh, We've had uh, some sexual uh, coercion and abuse allegations come up against some major head coaches, some major players in the league. So I think it's good to talk about uh, everything that's happened the past week. I think... Also, for this week's deep dive, uh, unless something else happens, I think it would be a good idea to really, deep, really get into 
what can be done and what is happening to move past this really dark moment in the National Women's Soccer League. So uh, just going over the context around what's been happening before we get into really uh, what's been going on. This past year, uh, in terms of the NWSL, has been marred with just controversy after controversy after controversy. Just last year, we had uh, the Utah Royals owner, Deloy Hansen. Uh, he made some racist remarks in front of employees and had a very toxic uh, work work environment, and therefore he was ousted as uh, the Utah Royals owner as well as the RSL owner. And all, by the way, all, all of these uh, I got uh, from the the NWSL subreddit they have a really great mega thread going on talking about all of this uh and later that year the Utah Royals manager Craig Harrington was put on leave and uh was eventually ousted because he made inappropriate comments of sexual nature to staff uh and this past year in July OL Reign manager Fareed Bensetti uh was confirmed to uh have resigned because he made inappropriate comments in front of the team. And then later that month, uh, Gotham FC general manager, Elise LaHue was relieved of duties. Don't exactly know why that happened, but kind of suspect that it happened. And then Richie Burke, it was something we talked about with Gianna when they were on the podcast, Richie Burke, Washington spirit manager resigned because uh, he apparently abused his players verbally and had a very very toxic uh, work environment there and then uh, the end of august we had racing louisville manager christy holly terminated for cause don't know what that is necessarily uh so all, all, all of that to say this next these next few uh events that have happened nw cell kind of put a a bow on all that in terms of just how crazy the, the past year has been in terms of these allegations, in terms of all of the the terrible things that have been happening to players, whether it would be verbal abuse or in this case, sexual coercion. So just this uh, past week, September 30th, The Athletic published an article written by Meg Linehan and Katie Strang about abuse allegations against Paul Riley, the now former head coach of North Carolina. Uh, namely sexual coercion there has been some terrible stories i'm not going to get into them too much but he definitely used his i guess power as a head coach to uh intimidate players into doing things that they didn't want to not just sexually of course but also uh doing things like not uh, de declining a call up to the u.s women's national team because uh the players thought that if they went and left the team that he would get mad at them so and all these crazy things like if you have the stomach to read that because i i barely did definitely go read that article because the things that he allegedly did of course were just reprehensible uh and beyond that we had a lot of news come out uh racing louisville uh, nadia nadim uh tweeted out allegations that sky blue or now gotham fc forged her signature to increase her trade value in 2015, uh, which is uh, not just a bad move, that is quite literally fraud and a felony, and to see that happen and have evidence to support that is absolutely crazy. Uh, North Carolina have, of course, now terminated Paul Riley as the manager of the North Carolina Courage. Uh, Lisa, 
this is crazy. Lisa Baird, who is the the uh, GM, that now former GM uh, of or not GM commissioner of NWSL, t- tweeted uh, or released a statement about this, saying that you know, this is all new, like it's, it's very bad. And Alex Morgan, a couple of uh, an hour later, tweeted out an email that contradicted Commissioner Lisa Baird's statement, saying that uh, all the way since April, she knew at least some of these allegations that have been happening throughout this entire league painted a lot of terrible things about Lisa Baird and how she's handled it. Uh, going further, NWSL postponed a lot of their matches in light of these events, which is pretty crazy that an entire league just shut down for an entire weekend because of uh, sexual coercion allegations like this obviously shows that there this is a a a huge watershed moment uh more allegations against other managers as well uh going even beyond that it turned into u.s soccer and fifa doing starting formal investigations into the nwsl uh it also turned out that uh, lisa baird did actually stepped down as commissioner because of the allegations and her involvement with them. And yeah, uh, th- that is where we are right now. Right now, the NWSL uh, Board of Governors are forming a, a kind of a, a committee to manage oversight of the league's front office operations. And they're moving towards having an independent review of practices and policies of the league and the club at all levels, trying to re- like report and see where they're at with all of this toxicity, all this terrible things going on and trying to reorient themselves as a league. That is where we are right now. Jack, obviously, I mean, I talked a lot, so I just want to hear your opinion on all of this. Uh, just what, what, what are your reactions to this news dump of a week in terms of the nwsl well one the the first thing i'll I'll talk about is uh the situation about uh paul riley right uh yeah i i was very happy to see u.s soccer immediately terminate his coaching licenses not suspend them terminate them uh which i think is a a very good Mm -hmm. positive thing uh at least to make sure he's not going to be coaching uh, in the U.S. for some time. Uh, but also, the fact that NWSL, at some level, knew about these allegations and continued, never, never addressed them, uh, didn't bring them up in any way, kept it under wraps, is awful. It, it's absolutely morally reprehensible. And it, it just shows that it... How do, how do I put this? It's baffling that a league that is meant uh, to showcase uh, the sporting merit and, uh, and like, you know, of, of women's soccer does so little to protect the women that actually play in it. Absolutely. And that, that is, that is, that is terrible. Uh, like you, you can't, you can't be having that happen. And I, I hope that, you know, whatever investigation happens here is completely thorough and that who it, if it comes out that there, like, with absolute proof that there was advanced knowledge of any of this, there have to be consequences. And the, mm-hmm. the league as a whole needs to think about how they're structuring themselves if, if, this, is, if this is what you're getting uh, out of the league. Because 
this is not what you know our our national team on the women's side is a, a, a sign of like pride for our country right we don't want our league to put out this kind of image and you know showcase that you know yeah it, uh, our our team on the national level might be good but we don't care about how we treat them here mm-hmm. that that's awful i i i feel like i'm just repeating myself on on this but no, yeah I, I can't say enough how awful it is that just the these women had no support for uh in any of this and that you know it there, there's a much bigger cultural issue as well with yeah. all of this but we don't have time to talk about yeah that that, that big issue because it, it's absolutely massive and we could probably have like an hour-long conversation about that and, alone yeah and we we might on thursday because yeah. this is this is going this is literally in my mind one of the biggest watershed moments for women's soccer off the field since maybe the equal pay uh debate started like this is this is huge and i, I remember this past week it, it's it's a uh, in case you have haven't noticed like i i haven't tweeted too much like this past weekend just because it got really hard for me and i, I a lot of people that are very closely uh following women's soccer to really talk about this and really enjoy soccer because there's in my mind there's just this big like block where i'm like it, it, it is it right to support the the league right now because of everything that's happened and, and it's so it, it's been really hard for a lot of fans and a lot of players and everyone that's been involved to really dissect this just because there are just so many emotions there's so many like real experiences that are just so hard to hear and swallow and it, it, it's it, it's very hard emotionally to take that for any anybody to observe this you know lisa baird i think took a large brunt of the blame but my question is what about the team owners that knew about this that hired managers like paul riley like richie burke who have had a history of uh doing terrible things like where is the accountability for them we are getting a lot of protests, particularly from Thorns and Timber supporters against like the likes of Merritt Paulson, their team owner. But we need to have more accountability for uh, those owners. Also, the U.S. Federation, yes, they did a good thing by terminating Paul Riley's uh, coaching license and having their own investigation. But the U.S. Federation handled the NWSL, like, like was closely tied with the NWSL until 2020, which given the timeline with uh, the sexual coercion allegations with the sexual abuse allegations is in line with their ownership so u.s soccer also knew lisa baird also knew the team owners knew as well this is i i i think that one of the biggest solutions we can talk about solutions a little bit before we we move on to everything else because right now there aren't a lot of great solutions but w one of them is just to have that accountability, right, for team owners to, I think, have a complete uh, wiping out of the NWSL front office, starting from scratch, getting someone who puts the, 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 the player's health and well-being beyond uh, protecting and consolidating power for the front office to have, like, this squeaky clean image of NWSL. Like, Jack, do you have any others? 
maybe solutions going beyond this? I mean, it's kind of tough because I think it reckons a larger conversation about culture. Uh, but I think a, a bigger thing is also just, you know, making sure that we actually support the players when they uh-huh, right. when they say this kind of stuff. When they actually, uh, I, I think a big thing is, you know, the is the trust that, uh, it, or level of distrust, I should say, so high that it doesn't matter like uh like uh, it you you've got to repair trust is the is uh-huh. the point i'm trying to say because uh without without that if you, if you're not actually going to act and change things if you're just going to say things and release statements doesn't matter because you like you've broken the trust of these players enough that it doesn't matter if uh if you're just going to say like yeah we're going to, we're going to have a new front office it'll be good all that because you, you you need to you need to make actual changes like to to it. it it's not i don't think it's enough to just clear out the front office at this point mm-hmm. it it has to be a much deeper fix yes i completely agree on the on the the note of supporting uh, the players you can uh support and donate to the NWL players association they've been doing a lot of great work uh working through this and working through all the stuff in the past so shout out to them uh, also, I think and we could talk about this a little bit more on Thursday, but this really is indicative and, I, and I'll leave everything off on this before we move on. Uh, but this is indicative of how we treat women athletes in society, not just in this country, but I think uh, worldwide. NWCell is one example, but I guarantee you the systematic abuse of power dynamics has taken place in every organized women's league led by men and it's something that we need to address especially on the heels of the usa gymnastics trial like this is something that we have been seeing and we just need to do more uh to protect women i think you know another large part of that is hiring uh more women front office members obviously lisa baird is you know not a prime example of that but also hiring women's coaches uh because i i think that will help a large part of this, even if it's just a little bit. Uh, Jack, let's move on to uh, some of last week's predictions, right? Uh, well, I actually, I need to give a quick shout-out to the Columbus Crew, because that was pretty cool. They won the Campionas Cup this past uh, week against Cruz Azul, I think, 2-0. to uh, Shout-out to them. Campionas Cup is a fake... A tournament in my opinion but it's cool because it's a nice super cup competition between league mx champions and mls champions so shout out columbus crew let's move on to last week's predictions now jack how are the the, the points work in this game and uh tell us about psg versus man city yeah well you get 10 points for getting the result correct 20 points for getting the exact scoreline correct and zero points for getting none of it correct. So starting with PSG versus Man City, uh, PSG won this one two to zero as revenge for the semifinals last time around, where they lost uh, two to zero and two to one in their two legs. Uh, Idrissa Gueye, uh, Gueye, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. scored in the eighth minute, uh, and Lionel Messi, of course, finally broke uh, broke his lack of goals with a beautiful goal off of a back heel assist from Kylian Mbappe outside of the box strike. You know, there was no chance for Ederson to get to that one. 
and yeah, it brings a comprehensive win for PSG in the group stage that actually leaves Man City outside of the top two in their group right now. Wow. Which is a bit of a scary thought for Pep Guardiola, <laughs> I'm sure. But either way, um, I said it would be three to two, maybe a bit more exciting game than uh, that would have been than what we got. But uh, I'll get 10 points for that. AJ said two to one, pretty close. Man City couldn't muster up a get enough attacking prowess to get that result for him to get 20 points. So he'll take 10. Our listeners backed Manchester City. And of course, you can participate in this game as well by looking at the Twitter polls that we release each week. But they'll take zero points to start off with this one. Yikes. Let's go on to another Champions League game. AC Milan versus Atletico Madrid. Ended up being 2-1 to one for Atletico Madrid, the away side in this one. And it was quite the game, quite the drama that happened. Uh, to begin scoring, uh, it was Rafael Leo for AC Milan in the 20th minute. But everything changed after that when Frank Kessie got a second yellow card, got sent off. And uh, the tone uh, shifted a little bit, but also Atletico Madrid were not doing too well to respond to being up a man. They weren't really taking their chances. That is until much later in the game, Antoine Griezmann, one to one, he set the scoreline in the 84th minute. You know, it, it took them quite a while to really get their groove. But once they did, Antoine Griezmann, of course, equalized. And of course, Luis Suarez got a penalty. In the 90 plus 7th minute, right at the death, put Atletico Madrid up to take all three points out of Milan. That, that was a crazy game and even crazier implications for the predictions game. Because Jack said 2-1 to one, the wrong way for AC Milan. I said 1-1. One one, and I was, I was a seconds, away. seconds away from getting 20 points. Instead, I get 0 points. Jack, of course, gets 0 points. And our listeners... Also gets your points because they backed AC Milan. Not the greatest showing from us, but a great showing, of course, from Atletico Madrid to bounce back after uh, getting a man advantage. Jack, Juventus versus Chelsea. We talked a little bit about this, but tell us the scoreline and what happened there. Yeah, well, we talked about this above. It was 1-0 to zero for Juventus. Uh, Federico Chiesa scored in the like seconds after halftime was over uh, for a 1-0 victory. Uh, I said 2-1. to one for uh chelsea so i'll get zero points aj said two to zero for chelsea so he'll get zero points and our listeners back chelsea as well for zero points on that so not doing too great this week uh and the next game in here we can't talk about yet as of yeah. recording so i'm guessing we're going to switch over to future aj right now yeah. so he can yeah, let potentially. us know what uh what happened in this game all right future aj what is the scoreline for seattle sounders versus colorado rapids well past AJ, I got some bad news because uh, Colorado didn't actually win like you predicted. Uh, it was Seattle Sounders. Uh, they won 3-2-0 with an early goal from Christian Roldan, the U.S. men's national team player. Uh, he is Madronda in the 22nd minute. Got it, us up to 2-0. Good goal from him. Uh, and draw Paulo in uh, the 45 plus first minute just an amazing slaloming through the colorado defense gets past everybody and slots at home one of the best mls goals that i've seen period and especially the season great from him 
Uh, Colorado just couldn't muster anything up, even got a man sent off in the 61st minute. That's Lucas Estevez. Just not a great showing from them. And uh, obviously not a great showing from me either because I predicted this to be a 1-0 towards uh, Colorado Rapids. Jack said 1-0 for Seattle Sounders. He'll take 10 points. I'll take 0 points. Listeners, you guys said uh, it would be uh, Seattle winning, so you also get... Uh, 10 points as well as far as the entire table goes for the entire season uh jack because he won this week 20 to 10 he gets elevated up to 155 points on the season listeners you also have 155 points in the season i luckily am staying in the lead for now at 175 points all right that was all that happened here uh, let's cut it back right back to the episode. Let's talk about next week's predictions. Starting off with Italy versus Spain. As always, like Jack mentioned, you could follow us on Twitter at Final Third Show. Respond to our polls that are released every Monday or Tuesday to uh, vote on who you think is going to win and see if you can do better than us. So first one's Italy versus Spain. We already talked about the UEFA Nations League semifinals. I, of course, backed Italy to win the entire thing, so I think they'll win here. A nice comprehensive 1-0 to win. Got to get that defense up, and I think they'll do great. Jack, what do you say about this match? I'm saying 2-0 to zero for Italy on this one. Okay. I, I don't think Spain's going to be able to score. Uh, their forwards are a big problem. And Italy, I, I think they can keep a clean sheet, and they've got some good goal scorers on there as well. All right. Belgium versus France. We obviously disagree with this. So, uh, Jack, the, the, the French national team fan, what do you think about this? I'm going to say it's going to be a 2-1 win for France. Uh, I, I think you know either Lukaku or De Bruyne is going to score for Belgium, uh, but Griezmann and probably Benzema are, are going to score for France. Uh, I don't back France enough to keep a clean sheet in this, but I also don't back Belgium's defense in the slightest, so I think they're going to concede a few in there. So that's what I'm going to say. Uh, well, I don't back France to win this game at all because I'm backing Belgium to win. I think that they have such great firepower in the attack. I also think that they have a better midfield, if I'm being honest. With Conte out, I think France are going to be heavily, heavily handicapped. So I'm going to say a 2-1 to one win for Belgium. Uh, moving on from one continent to the other, we are on the international break, so it's a lot going to be a lot of international games Starting, in fact, all international games. but That is true. That is true. Uh, in fact, the, the next three are World Cup qualifier games. Uh, first being Mexico versus Canada. Uh, I'll talk about this. Playing in Azteca is going to be hard because it's going to be in Mexico City. Canada, I don't think I've ever won there, considering that U.S. has very rarely won there as well. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's going to be an uphill battle, quite literally for Canada, because it is uh, an uphill flight to get up to the elevation that El Azteca is at, which makes it even harder to play at. But with Jonathan David and Alfonso Davies healthy and on form, anything is possible. Jonathan David, I think, is going to be the X factor if Canada wants to win. He's been doing quite well for Lille, even though they haven't been doing quite well, uh, getting some good goals. Uh, so if he can play well and be on his top form, I think that anything can happen here. But I just don't see that happening because you just got to back Mexico at home until proven otherwise. I'm going to go with a 1-0 win for Mexico. Jack, do you, do you back Canada at all? Are you on the, on the Jonathan David train? I wish I could say I did, but 
it's it's in Mexico, and you know that if the Mexico uh, if Mexico's losing, then the fans are going <laughs> oh, to delay yeah. the game. Oh uh, man, they're going to do it because nothing happens uh, that's negative. So I'm going to say two to one repeat of the uh, of the Gold Cup semifinal there. Ooh, uh, I hope not in the same fashion. Yeah, because that was, not as heartbreaking. Yeah, oh. that was heartbreaking. I uh, uh, so hopefully like it will be. How, how do you say like a nicer loss? I, I, I don't think that's a thing you can really say, but you, you get a more honorable mean, loss. Perhaps. Yeah, yeah, that, that's the right way to say it. All right. Well, hopefully USA doesn't suffer an honorable loss against Jamaica, because I think any loss against Jamaica at home would be pretty dishonorable. Uh, USA are on pretty good form. Uh, haven't lost since uh, their game against... When, when, when even was the last last loss? Switzerland, I believe. Uh, yeah, back. yeah. They they walk in to this October window with five points. First game against Jamaica is going to be a must win because it is at home. Because it's against Jamaica, who is in bad form. U.S. Men's National Team, despite not having Pulisic and Reina, still have a really great team front to back. We covered that last Thursday. Go give it a listen. So I think they're going to have enough to beat Jamaica. I'm going with a two to one win for the USA. And even though it might seem close, that one goal for Jamaica, I'm going to I'm going to say it's going to be like a consolation goal right at the end where it's like, oh, you scored a goal, but we dominated the entire match. At least um, that's what I'm manifesting. Hopefully that's the case. Jack, who's winning this match? Yeah, well, I'm going to go with the US as well, because, you know, I always back the teams I support. But the last time Jamaica won against the US it was only in 2019, I believe, if, I, if I'm looking at this right. Uh, yeah, it was in a club friendly. Um, but the players we fielded are significantly uh, worse than the ones we have now. Specifically, yeah. Omar Gonzalez, Tim Ream, mm-hmm. Jackson Yule, Jordi Mihailovic, Will Trapp. So I, I think, I think like, uh, we can field a better lineup here, and given the bad form of Jamaica. I'm going to say 2-0. Yeah. to zero. For okay. uh, the U.S., I, I think we I think we can keep a clean sheet. We're at home. I can I can see it happening. Yeah, well, being at home helped us a whole lot when we uh, drew to Canada, huh? All right, but, but also, I, I also think Canada is better than Jamaica. Exactly, so. Canada is not Jamaica. So hopefully, we can get that win and a clean sheet. Uh, Argentina versus Uruguay, Jack. Quite the matchup. This is uh, the second and third seed in Conmebol World Cup qualifying, dueling it out. Who is winning this matchup? Yeah, well, um, in the last eight matches, uh, Argentina have won four, drawn three, and Uruguay have won a single game back in 2013 was the last time they won against Argentina, right. a 3-2 win. And w- was that in Uruguay or It was in Uruguay, and okay. this one is in Argentina. And the last right. time, uh, you know, they played in the Copa America, Argentina won 1-0. Uh, the world... Uh, in the World Cup qualification earlier, uh, you know, actually they haven't played each other uh, yet. My bad. Yes. <laughs> but either way, I'm going to back Argentina on this one. I, I like Argentina. I think they're playing really well, especially after uh, Copa America win uh, this past summer. I also think Uruguay's golden generation is really dying out pretty quickly. Or not dying out, phasing out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, whoa. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I, I back Argentina to win this. I'm going to say 1-0. to zero like a really scrappy kind of win. Plus, if they have Emmy Martinez, you know if your Uruguay has a penalty, they're probably going to miss. Yeah. I also very much like Argentina to win this because they have been on great form. They have some very good players, especially in the attack. 
which I can't really say is the same for Uruguay other than, you know, Cavani and, you know, Suarez who have. <laughs> That's a know, pretty good attacking combo. I'm yeah. not going to lie. Yes, but also when you look at Argentina's attacking options, which is Messi, Latoro, Martinez, very good player, Di Maria, Dybala, Aguero, even if they're not on the best form, they have a lot of great options to plug and play. Uruguay don't really have that uh, that luxury, I would suppose. And like you mentioned, Emmy Martinez is quite literally the GOAT, so there's also that. Uh, I would back Argentina to win this with multiple goals, actually. I'm going to go with a 3-1 to one win wow, okay. for Argentina, just because I think that's how much better they are than Uruguay, especially at home. So I'm going to back them. Jack, that is it for our predictions. Listeners always participate with the poll. Uh, but we only have one disagreement, and that's Belgium versus France. So how are you feeling about this week's predictions? I think I think France are better than Belgium, so I, I, I'm, I'm fine with it. I, okay. I'm fine with it. Uh, right. I hope it pays off. Uh, I didn't predict a lot of clean sheets. I, I Actually, no, I predicted a lot. I was looking at the lines <laughs> for a second. It'll be yeah, fine. I, I, th- I, th- I, think it's po- I think these are possible. You know, anything can happen in international games, but that is I true. like my odds. I like them. All right, all right. Well, that is it for today's episode, Jack. So where can people find us on social media? On Twitter at Final Third Show is where you can find us for the polls to participate in the prediction game. You can uh, see the tweet that I uh, that I made this morning uh, where I made fun of AJ's team for losing to uh, <laughs> yeah. Brentford. Uh, and you can you can see any other coverage of major news events in the soccer world all in one place by going to at Final Third Show on Twitter. Yep, and you also follow us on uh, whatever podcasting platform you listen to us on, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast Addict, whatever. Give us a rating on Apple Podcasts as well. We read out any five-star reviews, so get ahead and do that. We'll catch you guys on Thursday to talk, I believe, some more NWSL, talk about what's going on there. And we'll see you guys same time, same place for tomorrow, uh, next week's uh, News and Predictions episode. Tell a friend about the show. Tell your dad about the show. All right? See ya. Bye for now.